0: Today our scripture is Joshua, chapter 3, 1 through 17. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan, At Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over
1: the Jordan. Thank you, Nikki. You read those tribes better than I'm going to. That was good. Good morning. Most of you probably know me, but for those who don't, my name is Doug Gamble, and my wife Laura and I have been uh, part of Cole Community Church since the late 80s. But uh, most of the last 20 years, we've been ministering down in Central America and Costa Rica in various schools, uh, international schools, working with Young Life, and also most recently uh, at a seminary down there, Seminary SEPA, where we're training Latin pastors and Latin missionaries. Uh, it's been a very, very great time. And this is our family here. And we just want to thank you for your faithfulness to pray for us and to befriend us and to encourage us and to support us because it, it really is, it makes all the difference in the world. Uh, this last semester was a good one, uh, but uh, in particular during this last month, we saw something I thought was really beautiful. You know, we've been there, like I said, almost 20 years, and in three or four different cases, Laura had meetings with women whom, for whom she'd known almost all that time, and after all that time, they opened up to her this last month in ways they never had before, and Laura was able to share with them and pray with them and encourage them in ways that, were just, that could only happen. Because we've she'd been investing in those relationships for so long, it was really a beautiful thing. So, so thank you for being part of that. And uh, we're headed back to Costa Rica next week, and then then many of you know we're headed to Peru to uh, for a for a missions excuse me a, a leadership conference in Peru with a series of four or five churches down there. Uh, it's a relationship that Cold to the World has had with those through Kent Johnson over the years. He's cultivated a long standing relationship with those churches, and they've invited me and invited us and uh, one other, I'm going to take one other gentleman from Costa Rica with us and we're going to teach down there so we appreciate your prayers for that I have to share one Christmas gift that I got that was, I think it was a mixed blessing I was really excited at first it's called Dad's Dad Jokes Terribly Good Dad Jokes and I thought, this is great but then I realized none of my jokes were in here and then I realized maybe that's why they got it for me because I had to pick up my game a little bit I don't know Well, this semester I just uh, completed teaching a course on the book of Acts, and I know you've been going through Acts. But as I was thinking about this sermon, and as I was thinking about what struck me in the book of Acts, two things just really struck me freshly in this last month or so. That's part of what I want to share with you this morning in in this passage. But the first is God as the initiator of things, and second, the importance of movement in God's way of handling us. As you saw in the book of Acts, God's the author and the, the initiator of all the major action. The disciples are waiting around. And all of a sudden, you've got the noise like a hurricane, and the tongues like fire, and you've got the ability to speak, to declare the gospel in foreign languages. And the disciples are just going, whoa, what's going on here? And the church is born, and the rest of the book is the disciples running to catch up with where God is going. Another chapter, God takes, uh, takes uh, Philip down to the road to Gaza, and there's, there's an Ethiopian down there reading Isaiah and doesn't understand it. So, Peter can ex- so uh, Philip explains it to him, and the gospel now is channeled down into North Africa. A couple chapters later, Peter's in Caesarea. He's praying on the rooftop, good Jew that he is, and all of a sudden down, he gets this vision of a smorgasbord of non-kosher foods coming towards him. And God says, eat up. And he's shying away from it. No, a good Jew doesn't do that. And within a few verses, he's in the home of a Roman centurion, Gentile, and the Holy Spirit comes down on all of them like he did in, in, in chapter 2. Peter's going to spend years trying to figure that one out and get used to that idea. Then you've got Paul, who is just happy as a clam, being mean and violent against the church. He hates those Christians, and then he becomes one. And he actually has to go minister to the Gentiles of all things, this good Jew. This is all God's idea. It's none of the it's not it wasn't Peter's idea, it wasn't Paul's idea, but God is out in front and, and the and the people are just catching up. And it's really true from the whole Bible when you think about it. Didn't I mean what's the first words of the Bible? In the beginning, God. God started the whole thing. Right? And He's the one that initiates everything with Adam and Eve. He's the one when things fall apart that goes and finds Noah. He goes and finds Abraham. The the, the prophets have to wait for the word to come to them. They can't go find the word. They don't go find the word. God finds them. See, the Bible is not the story of man's search for God. It's the story of God's search for man, his rescue of man. It's his story, not ours. Our part is just to respond to the story that he is writing, that he is creating, that he is leading us into, right? And in the backdrop of all these illustrations that I've just mentioned about God being the initiator, we've got the importance of movement. I don't know if you've ever noticed the importance of movement in the Bible. But right at the beginning, the Spirit of God is hovering, moving back and forth over the sea. And the animals, the way he describes the animals in the first chapter, what are they doing? They're swarming, they're moving, they're flying, they're creeping. The man and the woman, they're called to move out into all the earth, to fill it and subdue it. Not to stay home and watch the ball game they got to go out, right? Uh, and then in Noah's got to do the same thing. And then Abraham is just happy in the Ur of the Chaldees. But God says, no, no, no. I'm gonna sh- we're going to leave now, but I'm not going to show you. Gonna- I'll show you where you're going after we get started. You can't plug it into your Google Maps and know where we're going. We're gonna- we're- on the process, we're going to find out, right? And then we have the movement down to Egypt to save people, out of Egypt into the promised land, into captivity, out of captivity. Then Jesus leaves the side of God into earth to save us. And most of his earthly ministry, did you notice? He's moving all the time. He's itinerant, right? He rises from the dead, and what does he tell the disciples to do? Get moving. And that's what the story of Acts is about. Paul travels thousands of miles in the book of Acts. So movement is really important, and these things come together in the passage I want to talk to you about today because it describes one of the key movements among God's people. That's what we're reading in Joshua chapter 3. Now, the context of the whole thing, we've got to set it up a little bit, but it's pretty familiar. God has delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them through the Red Sea. It's a kind of baptism. They go through the water and they come up and they're God's people on the other side. And within six or seven months, they're on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in, send the spies in, And Caleb says, we're going to devour them like bread. And and everybody except Joshua says, no, no, they're big. There's a lot of them. And they recoil in fear. They don't want to take the land that God says he's already given them. And so what do they do? They move, but they just wander without any direction, without any purpose. And at one point, they're literally going in circles. Fast forward 38 years and we're to the passage that Nikki read a few minutes ago. Moses has died. Joshua has the mantle of leadership now. And God says to him several times in that first chapter, be strong and courageous. But it's not that, it's that he's not encouraging Joshua to be strong in himself. He says, you never depart from my word. Soak yourself in it. Obey it. And then you can be strong in me. The source of his courage the source of his, his valor is going to be in who God is, not in who he is. So again, it's God out front, God taking the initiative with Joshua, Say, okay, we're going to go in. So we're going to talk about that now, but before we get into the t- chapter, I want to ask you to a- think about this question while I'm, while I'm talking here. What new territory does God have for you in 2020? What new territory might God be taking you into? Okay, let's pray and then we'll get into the text. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for your perseverance with the Israelites and your perseverance with us because we continue to stray, we wander, we recoil in fear, we get distracted, but you keep after us to lead us to the promised land, to lead us to where you are taking control of everything and it's good. Help us to pay attention to that today and to see where you're leading us. But we thank you for this passage that you've left for us to learn from. May we learn what you want us to learn from it. Amen. So the first few verses, Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out. They came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and and commanded the people, As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Okay, so the ark held the, the tablets, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments tablets, the jar of manna, the Aaron's rod, and some other things. But, so it held God's word, and it was the picture of God's presence among his people. That's, that's the significance of the ark. It's not that it has magic things inside. It's a picture of God with the people. So notice, there, it, it's time for them to move, but they don't move until God goes first. God goes first, His Word goes first. That's the key. Where God's Word goes, where God's presence goes, that's where they're supposed to go. It isn't just anywhere they want to go, anywhere they feel like going, or anywhere it's easy to go. They go where God leads, but the Word goes first, and so it is with our lives, right? It's it's God's Word that leads. We're we're looking for His will, not ours. His way, not our way. That's the big conflict we often have. Verse 4 says... There shall be a distance between you and the ark, about 2,000 cubits. That's almost half a mile. It's over half a mile. Don't come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. I guess we can say that Joshua is warning them not to get ahead of God's word in some ways. You make sure you can see it out in front of you, and don't get so crowded that you can't see where it's going or that you pass by it and don't know where God is leading. But I'm really intrigued by that phrase where it says you have not passed this way before. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how they're going to get there, and God has to tell them that. They might feel okay about it, but God says, you don't know what you're doing, and you don't know where you're going, therefore pay attention to what I'm telling you to do. The truth is that every step of our lives is a way we have not gone before. Yeah, let's let's take this example right here. Many of us have been in this pew, in these chairs, or maybe not these chairs, but in this place on Sunday morning at Cole Community Church for years. But you know what? Nobody has been here on Sunday, December 29th, 2019 before. That's brand new. You've not gone this way before. You've not been here on this day in these circumstances before. And it may sound silly. But when we get too into our routine, oh, I know how to do this, we can be guilty of the sins of presumption and faithlessness. We can think, I got this. And we quit looking for God to work. We just assume it's all going to be fine. Routine is, is healthy, but it's dangerous. Because we can, we can move God to the side and think, I know how this works. I can take charge of this. But when we begin to realize that we have never passed this way before, we can then realize, I need to depend on God to bring life here. Routine is not going to bring me life. Just because I know what has happened in the past doesn't mean I know what's going to happen today, and it means I need to look for God to do something new and fresh today. Every day is a way we have never been before. In verse 5, Joshua says to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. That word consecration means, quote, the separation of oneself from the things that are unclean, especially anything that would contaminate one's relationship with the perfect God. Jesus refers to it in various ways when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The condition of our hearts is part of what enables us to understand and recognize God's work. Uh, He also says that when he teaches in the Lord's Prayer, he asks us, he says, hallowed be your name. It's about treating God as holy and it's about realizing that our our heart condition needs to be prepared and intentional when we interact with God we we don't want to do it casually we have a tremendous intimacy with God because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, that's beautiful we need to depend on it, rely on it and cultivate it but uh, that intimacy is not the same as being casual we're pretty casual in the United States we never have to say your highness right and so everybody's kind of the dude down the street But we need to relate to God as God. It's serious. We need to think about our heart condition. We need to think about our own disposition as we go before God and be intentional about it. Let's look at verse 7 here, where the Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He's, he's, He's producing this leader here, And it sounds for a minute like he wants to make a celebrity out of Joshua. I'm going to exalt you, he says. But what will exalt Joshua in the eyes of all of Israel? Look what it says. It says it's God's presence that will exalt him. That's what God wants us to pay attention to. That's what he wants the people to pay attention to. What distinguishes Joshua as a leader, what exalts him, is God's presence and God's work in his life. That's the distinguishing feature. Now, my question for us is, is that what matters to us? I fear that too often what matters to me is how somebody looks, how they appear to me, or how they talk to me, or whether they're successful, or whether they've accomplished really cool things, or... Well, you can fill in the blanks. But what I'm not, what, too often what I'm not concerned about is, how are they relating to God? How is God being manifested in their life? That's what matters. That's what's important in the people around us. That's what's important in your life. That's it's important in my life. And we get to have to be really careful not to let secondary matters take us off course. Now, in verse 8, we get to a critical, critical point in the narrative. Verse 8 says, God is talking to Joshua, And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Now, Probably as, as Joshua is hearing this, he can see the Jordan. He might even be able to hear the waters rushing by. And if you skip down to, I think it's verse 15, we get this other detail about what's going on in the Jordan River. They're at flood stage at this moment. Okay, The water is high. Now, I've never been there. Tim Coles tells me that the Jordan River is just a little bit smaller than the Boise River. That may disappoint you mentally, but anyway, <laughs> it's a little smaller than the Boise River. But if you think about the Boise River, right now you can go out, it's really low. You could wade across a lot of it and not get above your knees. In May, different story. Right? Flood stage is what, what is emphasized in the text. The water is high. The water is not, it's not the time for crossing that river. But God tells Joshua that the priests are to stand still in the Jordan. I'm sorry. If I'm Joshua, I'm thinking... There's a couple of those priests are pretty old, and I don't think any of them can swim. They didn't have to swim across the, 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 the Red Sea, did they? No, they could walk, right? But they, and thinking, he's probably envisioning the ark being washed down the river and tumbling in the current. You know, I think, this is a disaster waiting to happen. This, we, this, this won't work. It had to sound a little bit crazy, illogical, poorly timed. Can't we pick a different time of year? All those things probably had to go through his mind. But when we look through the scriptures as a whole, we see that God God often asks people to do things that don't make sense to them at the time, or which seem impossible. Just a couple chapters forward in the book of Joshua, they're going to take Jericho, right? Do you remember the battle plan for Jericho? Well, first you're going to march around, then you're going to march around, then you're going to march around, then you're going to march seven times around, you're going to play the trumpet. Nothing about weapons. certainly isn't a surprise attack. Can you imagine what these soldiers are thinking? This isn't going to work. This can't work. This is silly. They're going to know we're coming. This this wall is too high. But when they obeyed God, the walls came tumbling down. God approaches Moses. This is another example. The burning bush. He says, Moses, we're going to head back to Egypt, and you're going to deliver the people from slavery from 430 years of entrenched oppression that sits at the root of the economic success of the most powerful country and the most powerful leader on the face of the earth. And Moses says, I can't. And he can't, unless God is with him. And as he, step by step, obeys what God asks him to do, he sees God provide for him. Not until he obeys, he sees God provide for him, and he sees God open away, literally opening the Red Sea eventually. One of my favorites is Jesus when Jesus feeds the 5,000. You remember that in Mark 6? The crowd's there. They're tired. Jesus has compassion on them. It's late in the day. And Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Would you please give these guys something to eat? And the disciples, uh, we, we don't have the resources. We don't have the paycheck. We, we can't do it. But when they gather the little that's there, like Jesus asked them to, within a few minutes, those disciples are feeding the multitude. They're doing what seemed impossible. Or one more, just because I love these examples so much. Uh, when Jesus meets the guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years in John 5, being paralyzed is so much a part of this guy's character that he, when Jesus asks him, do you want to be healed? He doesn't even say yes. He says, "Well, yeah, you know, there's, this other thing happens, and I'm never there in time." And he can't even say yes to that question. So finally, finally, Jesus kind of interrupts him and says, "Get up, stand up." Now, that's not very sensitive. This guy's paralyzed. Don't you understand? That's, he can't do that, Jesus. That's the very thing he. You're kind of. You're making him feel bad. But when he tries, when he tries. He finds God there to meet him with his efforts, to enable him to do what God has called him to do. It didn't make sense to anybody around there, probably not even to him, but there it was. When they step out in faith, even though it looks crazy, silly, impossible, or scary, God provides what they need. That's what's going on in this text. Now let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you. That's quite a phrase. Here's how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you all those ites. I'm not going to go through this. Termites. I don't know. Here Joshua is speaking directly to the needs of his people. He knows the needs of his people. He knows that the core of the problem is that they doubt that God is with them. That they doubt that God is in their favor. That's, that's, that's the key thing that they're struggling with. And he wants them to know that God is with them. I don't know if you remember, but at the, in the introduction of Luke to his book, to his gospel, right at the end of the introduction, he writes this. He says, I'm writing an orderly account for you so that you can have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. In 1 John, at the end of 1 John uh, uh, John writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want us with this. Well, I hope he's okay with me, or I hope I'm going to heaven. He wants that certainty. Not so that we become arrogant, but so that we can trust him and move forward in faith in this life. He wants to have that bedrock certainty in who he is and what he's done and where he's taking us. Joshua knows that's the weakness of these people. And isn't their problem our problem? Don't we struggle with believing that God is in this, or God is with us, or God is among us, or God is working in my heart? I think we doubt it. And that's one of the reasons we don't obey God, or we shy away from Him, or we recoil in fear. These people were facing formidable foes. They were big tribes over there. And there was a lot of them. They were outnumbered, outsized, playing against NFL linebackers across the way, and they're little Jewish boys. And they're thinking, we can't do this. And they were right. But if they go in accordance with God's command and God leading the way, it will happen. See, faith in God and trust in God, is it always involves the placing of something important in my life. When you and I trust anybody, it involves the placing of something important in my life in the hands of another person. That's why it's so scary. That's what faith is. If I have faith in you, it doesn't mean, well, you never know if I have faith in you if I never place anything of value in my life in your hands. And when I do that, then you know, he really trusts me. Right? And that's what faith is. It's our placing of our fears, of our identity, of our purpose, of our, of our course and direction in God's hands. That's a vulnerab- vulnerability that we don't like. I understand that. It's not of our nature. We want to be controlling. We want to protect. We want to get insurance for everything. right? And I understand that. But that's not what God calls for us. The people were going to have to place their security in God's hands. They were going to have to trust all that they feared to God. It's not an easy thing. That's that's why all of us need God's enablement to do that. That faith is the aggressive trust in God. And even Paul says even that faith is a gift from God. But let's look at exactly how they will know that God is among them. Look at verses 11 and 13. Verse 11, it says, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take twelve men, bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth. Uh, Wait, wait. Excuse me, verse 13. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters shall be cut off. Notice, it says, Lord of all the earth. This is the Lord of creation, of Genesis 1. Not these little local gods, right? But notice also that what exactly was supposed to happen. When the soles of the feet of the priests touch the waters of the Jordan, or rest in the waters of the Jordan, then they will cease. The step is literally, they have to get their feet wet. They have to get their feet wet before they're going to see God act. I imagine they couldn't swim. We know all the objections they might have had. Well, we know some of them, at least. And yet... The story ends this way. So when the people set out from the tents to pass over the Jordan uh, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark of God had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood in a heap very far away. They can't stop at the edge of the river and, and wait and see what the Lord does. They have to step in. And then it stops, but it stops up, up a ways. So it takes a while; it's a process as they see these waters gradually diminish until they really are on dry ground. And then it says in verse 17, "Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground, and all Israel was passing over until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan." They took the step of faith; God met them where they, where they, where they made that step of faith, and showed Himself in a way that was full of His grace and love, and care, and provision. That's the passage. What does that say for you and me? Let me say a couple of things that it doesn't mean, and then I'll suggest some ways to think about what it might mean for us in, in 2020. I'm not, this, this text isn't talking about any of the long list of New Year's resolutions that we hear about. Have you ever noticed how the, how the, the exercise machines get extra, get extra publicity during the last two weeks of the year? Right? Um, we're going to hear about ideas to get stronger, get more beautiful, smarter, richer, cooler, better social media platform. The world, though, is telling us these things, not God. That's why it's, we have to be careful here. Okay? They're, they're, they're fed to us from a, from a commercial standpoint. They're not coming from God. And what they say is, if you will just put your mind to it and buy our product, you can have that thing. That's appealing to the flesh. It's appealing to our ego. And most of it will dissipate before January 10th, except for the bill that you're still paying on some of that stuff. Now, we can Christianize the same thing. So this year I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to church more. I'm going to And I'm not, I'm not complaining about any of that stuff. Those are all good things. But that's not what where this text is going. Because this text is talking about what God is initiating and God taking us into new territory, where he takes us into new experiences with him, perhaps into victory over areas we've never seen before, ministry opportunities we've never ventured into before, new ways that we trust Him, new depths and levels that we trust Him. These are the kind of things where the territory that, we saw, that God is talking about when He talks about taking us into new territory. So it means slowing down and listening to where He's going and what He's leading us into. Brian Zond writes this. He says, Waiting for God to act only seems like waiting for God to act. God is always acting, because God is always loving the world and always giving birth to something, waiting for God to act is actually waiting for your soul to become quiet enough to discern what God is doing in the obscure and forgotten corners, the forgotten court, that, that far from the quarters of power and wherever you think action is. It's being able to hear Him and recognize where He's leading. Now I don't know what territory God has for you this year, but let me just offer a few ideas as I wrap this up maybe even the new territory that God has for you, is that you actually, truly accept that you are saved by grace. And that you're not approved of by God by your moral goodness or some performance on your part. That's a weed that grows in all of us. We keep falling back into this thing, I've got to be good for God. No, you can't be good without God. And the, what really matters is that Jesus paid for you and me. And that we trust Trust God when he says that, and we move forward in faith. Maybe the new territory that God has for you is to accept God's no, or God's not yet. Is there something you've been, you wanted desperately and God doesn't give it to you, and you just keep fighting him for it? and You keep disappoint, being disappointed in God with it? And, you're, and, and that is an impediment to everything else you're doing because you just can't get past that? Maybe you just need to accept God's no, and realize that, it's a good answer if it's from God. And there are all sorts of other things he has for you if you will let that one go and move in a direction that he has for you. Maybe the new territory is a, a, a newness in a relationship you have with parents, husband or wife, your children, somebody in this body, with someone who disagrees with you about something that you, that's important to you. Seeking new territory is going to mean seeking a new dynamic of grace and love in that relationship. What does love mean in that relationship? Maybe you need to rethink that. Maybe God needs to take you into a new understanding of what love means in that relationship. It may involve seeking and granting forgiveness. It will surely involve humility on your part. But remember, every day is a way we've never been before. So those past patterns that have influenced that relationship, they don't have to defeat the taking of the new territory. God is more than capable of breaking you free from those past patterns and taking new territory in that relationship. Maybe the new territory for you is something with respect to your finances. Maybe it's... But in any case, and I can't comment on what it might be, but the fundamental thing is they're not our own. It's not about how much we earn, but about how much we're allowed to take care of. And it's a tool for God's kingdom. Maybe... The new territory has to do with how you understand yourself as a redeemed child of God and ambassador of Christ. To be an ambassador is a pretty high calling. It's a pretty cool thing. Right? You're an ambassador in your family. You're an ambassador in your community, in your place of work. Maybe there's a new area where you need to realize, I'm an ambassador of Christ here. Maybe you need to be an ambassador in another place entirely. New territory. Maybe God will call you to a new territory with respect to sex and sexuality. Our culture tells us that sex is an idol that we need to bow down to. Or it's a need that we can't live without. Or conversely, it tells us, well, this is is really just entertainment. It's just fun. None of that is biblical. None of that is from the heart of God. Unfortunately, we don't have to look very far to see that sex has been the source of deep wounding and widespread wounding that takes place outside the church, inside the church, outside marriages, and inside marriage. God may have a new territory for you with respect to yielding to his control of your sexuality, his design of your sexuality, or being healed of the wounds that you have suffered, or helping others heal from those wounds. God may be taking you into a new territory with respect to anger, addiction, passivity, your work situation, the way you talk to other people, the way you think about other people, the way you think about yourself, shame you may be experiencing, your fears. But a few warnings. You're not going to feel ready. No, you're not going to feel ready. You're going to feel like you don't have the time or the resources. That paralytic couldn't walk, the Jordan River was high, and they didn't have enough food for the multitude. You're not going to feel like you have enough. And you have to trust God's timing. Faith always demands trusting God's timing. In her book called It's About Time, Valerie Burton says it's about choosing the meaningful over the urgent so that your life is unhurried, yet purposeful, so that you can discern and pursue God's purposes. It's going to be uncomfortable, it might be scary. But for all of that, God says to you and to me just what he says to Joshua. Be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And as Paul says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who is against us? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I don't know where this word that you have for us today needs to go in every heart that's here, but I just pray that it would land in the right place with every heart that's here. That you would reveal with us, to us, Help us to wrestle with where you're taking us so that we can hear and see where this new territory is so that 2020, we can look back at the end, a year from now, and realize uh, you took us into this new territory and helped us conquer it. And it's beautiful and it's exciting for all the difficulty it may cause. I thank you that your spirit is with us and you are here and that you're more than enough. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.